35,000 decisions. That's the average number one adult makes a day. Some are minuscule, others are paradigm shifting. But how many are we making and we're not even considering the ripple effect they're setting into motion? She chooses as a place purpose to help women harness decision-making power by allowing God to open our eyes and give us courage to make the one that leads to obedience to his plan. The one that leads us to the promise of hope and future that he's laid out for each of us. If you find yourself in a place where life seems to be obstructing that view and your current state is stuck, meet me at She Chooses where together we work intentionally to choose Jesus over and over again. Hey, She Chooses listeners, you're listening to episode eight, where we're continuing our conversation over the sometimes impossible choice of surrender. If you haven't listened to episode seven, now's a great time to push pause, go back and listen to it first. Don't worry, this episode will be waiting for you when you're finished. Already listened? Welcome back. Let's get started. Friends, it is really encouraging to me to hear your feedback. If today's episode is helpful, let me know. Tell me about it. Share it. Grab a screenshot of the episode. Post it to your Instagram and tag at JD Hartsey. Or leave an Apple podcast review. When you do, you help elevate She Chooses and the search results of others, making it easier for others to find and join in on the fun. If it is to be, it is up to me. If ever there was a statement that could lead to two radically different results, it is this one. Depending on the circumstance, we might take them and strap them on as a badge of honor, you know, slapping it on our chest and thinking, shoo, those are some empowering words, feeling strong and in control. I love to be in control. Knowing the next step or being able to look at something and feeling pride just sweep over me with that thought that says, hey, I did that. I love that feeling. The one where we're just beaming. We've got pride over what we've accomplished. Other circumstances, however, they lead to a completely different place where rather than pride, accomplishment, that badge of honor, we're swarming in regret. We've got thoughts of inadequacy and failure thinking, ugh, hey, I did that again. I can't stand that feeling and I never want to experience it ever again. And lots of you are just like me, finding yourself feeling stuck in the never-ending cycle of why can I not just get it right? So here we are. Those of us inclined to perfect ourselves or will our way and forge our own path, we are laying it all out. We are coming to terms with our imperfection in exchange for God's perfection by looking to his example. Last episode, I described a moment when God opened my eyes to the truth that I cannot be the perfection in my home, but I can ask the God of perfection into my home. 
and we were just about to dig into the four steps or four components of surrender. And we're going to get there today, but before we do, I want to dig in just a bit further. Last time I mentioned to you Jesus. Jesus is demonstrating to us the epitome of surrender. For those of you thinking that's a tall order, feeling like that's just too much to ask, it's too unreachable, you know, I'm going to keep Jesus's surrender on the table because I believe that that is what God is calling us to. But I also want to look at another example that God lays out for us, which is the example we see in the life of Abraham. Father Abraham, the same Father Abraham that those of us that were in Sunday school when we were kids, we were singing about, you know, Father Abraham had many and I'm going to stop there because I am not a singer, but it's that Abraham that I want to draw our focus to today. We find God's call of surrender to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, where he tells him to get out of the land of familiarity. You know, his family, that place where everything he's always known is. And God says to follow him into a land that God is going to show him. Verse 2 says, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. This is a call that has transcended time. It's, it's a call that has this open door for all who are willing to step into relationship with God. If you've answered that call, you've stepped into covenant with him. The same covenant that God made with Abraham way back in Genesis, the one that we just read. In this verse, we see four statements that are laid out. And God is saying in them, first, he says, I will make thee a great nation. Second, he says, I will bless thee. Third, he says, I will make thy name great. And fourth, he says, and you shall be a blessing. Understanding this covenant is just as much ours as Abraham's. We can look at this verse knowing God is saying the same thing to us. So now that it's personal, here's what we can take away. It is God who does the making. It is God who does the blessing. Too often we get confused into thinking we're responsible for the making of ourselves as well as the blessing of ourselves. And we leave him out altogether. You know, we either skip over this truth or we're ignorant to it, or perhaps we're just rejecting it altogether. But when it comes to learning to surrender and living for God's plan, it's a truth that we have got to bow down to and get our self-will out of the way of. Because there's another point that God's trying to get us to, and it's that fourth point of that verse. You know, God wants to do the blessing. He wants to do the making. And through that process, his purpose isn't only to serve us. It goes beyond us. It goes well beyond us. It's bigger than us. His desire is to do these things and to set us up to be a blessing to others. God's plan is so much bigger and it's so much higher than ours. We often want to bless ourselves. God wants to do that. But he wants to do that and so much more. Our motive often stalls out focusing on ourselves. God's motive is his kingdom, which involves taking our life and using it to draw others in. His kingdom is an open door to all who are willing. Ours typically has gates, it's got walls, it's got doors, it's got boundaries, which we need his spirit to open up, tear down, stretch, and reach through. 
our self-focused mindset likes to focus on the blessing and making of ourselves, we have this idea of what's going to bless and make us. And that's where we find ourselves strategizing, DIYing, and self-willing our way through. We get those things set and we start working our own plan to get our imagined idea of satisfaction. And then we find ourselves failing, like I did in my car the day I described to you. God's plan, though, His plan leads to our ultimate truth-feeling satisfaction, one that can be felt way down in our gut, that soul satisfaction that we all think we know how to get ourselves to, but we fail at miserably every crazy time because it's a soul satisfaction that can only be found by allowing the creator of this earthen vessel that we exist in to use us to bless those around us. Here's where our individualistic mentality does us such a huge disservice. Individualism, if not kept in check, feeds selfishness, which blinds us from seeing God's desire is there, is for there to be this overflow from our life pouring into the lives of those we live with, you know, those in our realm of influence, those that we see and we interact with every single day ultimately leading to a soul satisfaction that we never realized existed. Allowing God to make Abraham and bless Abraham required surrender. A huge step of surrender on Abraham's part. One that required him to leave everything he thought would be, everything he knew, everything his culture taught him, every element of safety and protection that he had seen as he grew up, and willingly choose to follow God to a land where the location would be revealed at a later time. Who packs up their home, uproots their family to move to a place that will be determined along the way? There's probably some radical people out there that have done this, but I don't know them, and chances are you don't either. This is astonishing faith and an example of extreme surrender, the same sort of surrender that God is calling us to, I'm not suggesting that you need to pack up and do what Abraham did, but what I am suggesting to you is that you do a deep dive to see. God is calling you to surrender something, so what's stopping you from doing it and allowing God to make you and bless you? What stops you from the surrender that God is calling us to? Another way to look at it, what idea of perfection is holding you back from allowing God to bless you and make you? Is there a mentality that has to shift? Is there a tradition that needs to change? How about a plan or an idea that has to be released? Or an imagined future that you have got to lay down? A habit that needs to be broken? Or what emotion needs to be harnessed? In a lot of instances where we're struggling to surrender, it's because we've got this big idol of control standing in our way, and it's blocking our view of God. We're so busy bowing down to it that we're blinded to the promises of God that are in front of us. You better believe that there were some things that Abraham had to come to terms with throughout his life. And there are also things that we have got to come to terms with as well. Looking at Abraham, we often focus on that huge step of faith and forget that his life shows us a progressive transformation. His path to the promised land was not perfect. He did his own bowing to an idol of control when he concocted his plan to protect himself as he traveled through Egypt. God didn't tell him to tell Pharaoh that his his wife was really his sister. Abraham did that on his own. Was Abraham perfect? No. 
What he had, though, was an understanding for his need for God, which is where we need to get to as well, which is what God opened my eyes to in my car that day. And it's what God is working to open your eyes to as well. We cannot be everything we need, but God is, and he already has it. Abraham's transformation was progressive. Our transformation is progressive. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 tells us, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is a powerful verse, one that has taken my simplistic mind some time to wrap my brain around. But as God has opened my eyes, I have fallen in love with what it shows us about our steadfast, consistent, faithful Heavenly Father. But to see it, we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions about our current state. The first is, what is the glass that we're looking through? The second is, what is the glory we're beholding? Too often, the glass that we're looking through is our imagined perfection, and often we're distracted by our own perceived glory rather than focusing in on God's glory. This verse right here tells us it's not our glory to perceive, but we should be looking for God's glory. And as we do, His desire is to change us to that same image Not the image that we're concocting in our mind, but his image, the one that we know is perfection. And it's not in a one and done moment, but it's a progressive one where he's taking us from glory to glory. We're going to say that again. He's taking us from glory to glory, which is gradual. It's progressive. It's a process, a leveling up of sorts, a transformation, something that takes time actually a lifetime of time. And it requires we do one of those seeming nonsensical things that God is consistently asking us to do, where he says to stop focusing on ourselves and start focusing on him. We can't get from glory to glory without him. There is no DIYing our way to it. It's that annoying to our flesh, hard to take pray, seek, wait sort of method where we're willing to see this awareness of our inability to be perfection, not as an opportunity to be lost in swarming, self-shaming thoughts, but as a direct invitation from the Lord saying, chin up, daughter, let's go to another place of glory. Because that is every bit of what that moment is about. It's a hand-extended, open invitation from Jesus himself saying, you're not going it alone. I'm here. I'll take the lead. You're going to follow. So with that, let's dive on in. Admit, acknowledge, ask, allow. Admit. When we admit, we're admitting our imperfection by standing transparently before God. We confess our failure or feelings to him. We confess that we cannot do it all, but we serve a God who does. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. There is nothing that has ever happened or will ever happen that he does not already know. It's really a sobering reality to accept that he sees the good, but he also sees the not-so-good, the things that we shove into our closet and don't want anyone to see. It makes me think of my children. I can watch them do something wrong with my very own eyes, and I can even confront them in the moment it happens, and boom, Their mouth is shut and they pretend as though they have no idea what I'm talking about. 
I, I laugh whenever I think about those few instances when this has happened and I wonder how on earth do they think they are going to get away with this? And then my question turns into sobering truth as my thoughts are shifted inward and I remember God's omniscience and my own shortcomings. Confession is necessary and confession is good for the soul. We already mentioned it isn't God that needs our confession, it's us. We need confession and the humility that it brings. James chapter 4 verse 6. I love the book of James. James is like the New Testament book of wisdom. And in chapter 4 verse 6 he says, But he giveth grace more. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. It's pride that stops us from admitting our struggles and our sin. And James chapter 4 verse 6, it tells us directly that God opposes the proud. How scary, how appalling is it to think that holding in our sin makes us an opponent of the Lord? I don't ever want to stand against God, and I know you feel the same, but that is exactly what we do when we cover things up and we pretend that we're not struggling when we are. Truth, I need His grace daily. We need His grace daily. It's only by his grace that we are saved and it is his grace is only given through humility so that tells me this admitting when we're wrong admitting when we're imperfect admitting our shortcomings and our struggle we have got to get it figured out so to do that i've got four verses that speak profoundly to admitting the wrong it says proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The prayer for a righteous person has great power as it is working. 1 John chapter 1 verse 19 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Admitting our imperfection is the first step in surrender. If you're struggling just as everyone does with admitting sin, I encourage you meditate on these verses. Accept the power of confession and practice it and allow God to lavish you in his love as you begin to accept that he already knows your sin and loves you still. What an amazing God we serve and how liberating it is to know that even in the midst of our transgressions and our imperfections, he says, come to me. The Lord of all the universe says, come to me. Knowing that Forcing myself to focus on that, it makes me want to run to him to throw down every piece of me that holds me back and just run to the arms of my Savior. Unlimited extent, enjoying autonomy, having undisputed ascendancy. God's sovereignty means that he alone is in control. And step two in this process of surrender focuses on acknowledging that truth. Control is an interesting thing. I like to be in control like a lot. 
it feels good. But in those moments when I cannot get a grip, it leaves me feeling disheveled and is something I've spent lots of time trying to understand and learn how to allow myself to be led. And you know, I've not perfected this. I've already told you my my flesh is thick. And this is one of those force a pause and focus concepts where we have got to be intentional. We cannot be everything. It's not possible because we are not perfect. We are an imperfect creation requiring a perfect savior who happens to be omnipotent and sovereign all wrapped up in one. It's, it's pretty amazing. Think about this truth for a moment and make, make this statement personal. I can't be everything, but the one who died for me so that I can live is. Make this personal. He, he took control of my sin the day he died on Calvary. But in order for me to receive his redemption, I first have to acknowledge that truth and surrender my life to him. You know, it, it was my acknowledgement of him that allowed his grace and mercy to wash over me and wipe away my sins through waters of baptism. And acknowledging his sovereignty was a must there. And it's a must in every other area of our life. Friend, God was so serious about reconciling us to him that he chose nails, thorns, and a brutal beating. And we find ourselves having the audacity to wonder, can I really trust him here? We, we serve a God that we cannot see with our eyes, a God that requires us to have faith, a belief in things unseen, and trusting him to have control over everything when we can't see him can be a hard thing. And it requires that forced pause that I mentioned and that internal focus on him, on who he is, and the control that is already his. It's that necessary reminder, speaking what God has already said. So I've pulled out four, four verses that acknowledge God's control to help us bring to that remembrance, to focus on us in on who he is. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Psalms 29 verse 10 says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. Job chapter 42 verse 2 says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 27, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Those are some powerful verses that speak profoundly of God's control. The third step in our process of surrendering is asking. Asking the God of control to rule over our day. Ask the God of control to take up residence into every area of our life. Ask him, the God of peace, understanding, patience, and love to dwell in your home, in your car, at your work. There's something about asking God to be who he already is that radically changes the atmosphere. Matthew chapter 7 Verses 7 through 11 says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? The message version, it says it like this, Don't bargain with God, be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If your child asks you for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? 
as bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. So don't you think the God who conceived you in love will be even better? I love these verses, no matter the version. They're straight, they're to the point, and they're powerful reminder that God is our Abba Father. And Abba, that is a term of endearment. Abba is like calling God Daddy. These words do a good job of pulling us back to our place. And they tell us the love that we have for our own children it actually pales in comparison for God's love for us. You know, just like we want our children to succeed, God, he wants it even more so. And that's really amazing to consider when we look at our own unconditional love for our children. To think that a greater love is possible is really mind-boggling. But God's word says, says it's truth. And these verses, they tell us to ask. Asking for something can be difficult. I really like how the message version likens this to cat and mouse and hide and seek. We are a lot like that sometimes when it comes to asking for things. We'll go around it a thousand times without directly saying exactly what we want. And this is really frustrating when we experience this in the business world or in our marriage or even with our children. So can you imagine God's thoughts when we won't just come out and ask him for what we need? I'm, I'm not sure why asking in this instance is so complicated, but it is. You know, we can have these burning questions inside and still refuse to open our mouth and speak. We withhold them for whatever reason, yet God says over and over to ask. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. And it all begins with an ask. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 11 says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. I've got four verses that really drill in the necessity of asking. And we're going to circle back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. We've already talked about it once, but it's so good we're talking about it again. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplications with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. John chapter 16, verse 24 says, Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Psalms chapter 107 verse 6 says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. And James chapter 5 verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Communication is key to all relationships, even when it comes to our Heavenly Father. Yes, God knows what we need without us even saying, but our God is a perfect gentleman and he and He gave us free will. So yes, he knows what we need before we ask, but he, he didn't want robots to serve him. So he gave us this free will to determine whether or not we chose that we want to humble ourselves before him and ask. If your home, your relationships, or life in general are in need of peace, love, joy, and comfort, you don't have to sit and problem solve your way to perfection in these areas. All you have to do is sit and ask our Heavenly Father. He sees the stress and he sees the mess. He sees the space where you keep falling and he says, if only she would do what I have asked her to do. If only she would ask me. In this process we're outlining, we've already admitted our imperfection. 
we've acknowledged his control and now we're ready to humble ourselves at the foot of his throne and ask for help. And this is a big step. This is the one where we take we take it with faith as we acknowledge that God is in control of all things and that we can trust him to be in control of these areas where we keep failing. And we ask him to open our eyes, make us aware and help us to be the clay that is shaped in the potter's hand. The last step that I want to talk through today is allow. That last step is to allow him to work. Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. This verse, God magnified it in my mind during one of the most difficult experiences I have ever had to walk through. And I tell you that that journey was 600 days of taking that verse, the Lord himself will fight for you, just stay calm, and repeating it over and over and over again. You know, this is one of the most difficult verses to live. I I learned that in those 600 days. And it's, it's the time where we practice the act of surrender by stepping back, taking a deep breath or 10 or 5,000 and letting God be God. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. When I think about my need for peace, love, joy, and comfort in my home, my inability to obtain it on my own, this verse becomes my foundation. Commitment. Commit to the Lord and he will establish your plans. That is a promise. It's a promise. What I find in my imperfection as a wife, a mother, a woman is I can admit, acknowledge, and ask for God's help without much hesitation. But laying these things at the foot of the throne and committing to leaving them there is a whole nother story and it's intensely difficult. I have this inclination to place them there for a moment and when more time than I'm really comfortable with passes, I walk over, I pick them up, and I go back to trying to fix it myself. Because allowing God to work or waiting for him to work is hard. And we we acknowledge that his ways are higher than ours, but that doesn't mean we're willing to tolerate the wait. Our, Our way says we offer our requests and boom, God gets it done quickly. But his, his ways are not our ways. He says, leave it there. I'll get it done my way. And when it comes to God, timeliness does not dictate effectiveness. You know, we can look at something and we see a straight path from point A to point B, but God's looking at the same thing and he sees a side road that has these crooked paths, these increased depths and lots of ground to cover. And it involves a journey that's going to be remembered. It's not a shortcut and on to the next thing, easily forgotten sort of experience. We serve a God that desires a people with deep roots, deep roots that can stand the test of time. He knows good and well the depth of our roots determines our strength. He understands that shallow seed merely shrivel in the heat, and that is not his desire for us. No, his desire and his plan is to transform us. His transformation, it begins by rooting us deep, building within us power to withstand those elements of life that come at us. And that rooting, that effective rooting that will last, it requires a weight where we allow him to handle the thing that we cannot, the thing we cannot, so that this thing that we cannot get past is gone and it's gone for good. So 
thinking about that, I have got four verses to help you in those moments where you are working so hard to allow God to be God. And the first is Psalms chapter 27, verse 14. It says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Psalms 25 verse 5 says, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day. Psalms chapter 5 verse 3, In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer for you and eagerly watch. And Exodus 14 and 14, because it is so good. The Lord will fight for you and you will only be silent. You know what I hear whenever I, I read those verses? Wait, 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 wait. And it's, it's funny in a frustrating sort of way because our flesh is saying, go, 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 go. Yet God's word says, wait, 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 wait. And our natural instinct is to control the situation and to fix the problem to work things out. But again, God says, wait. Over and over again, he tells us to wait and promises while we do, he is moving. The kind of funny and a frustrating sort of way thing is his ways are higher than ours. And no matter how much we like or don't like that truth, his ways really do work in a way that ours never will. So if you're tired of trying to be the perfection that you can never be, I encourage you to push through and complete this act of surrender by stepping back and allowing God to be God. You know, write, write these verses down. Grab a screenshot in your Bible app. Keep this podcast handy. Check out the show notes. Check out shechooses.com. They'll all be listed there. Because the moment that you choose to allow God to do his work is the same moment you're going to be tempted to pick this thing back up again. We have to determine in our mind to commit our path to the Lord, to allow these verses to be the anchor that we cling to that keeps us surrendered, you know, and to trust God to do what he's promised to do, to wait and see that there's value in that wait and allow him to stretch those deep roots and allow him to conquer those giants that are against us to be the strength where we're weak, to be the perfection where we are imperfect. You know, these four steps, they, if you couple them with prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, studying the word of God, it melts away the stress of our mind. It, it opens our mind and it opens our understanding. It increases it. And we become the clay that, and it's this time when the clay that, that we are, it gets to a place where it can be formed, it can be shaped, it can be molded by the gentle hand of the potter. In his word, we find, we find God's word filled with imperfect people that were used greatly. Rahab was a prostitute. Leah was not pretty and she was not wanted. She was rejected. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Jacob was a liar. We, we read about their shortcomings, but we don't just read about their shortcomings. We read about God's patience and his long suffering until each of them chose the act of surrender to carry out what the Lord desired. Psalms 
Chapter 139, verse 16 says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. He knows the record that was written before we left our mother's womb. I want whatever his original plan for me was. This is, this is his game, if you will. If, if I want to play it the right way and get the experience of the creator, I've got to be willing to play the way he outlined it. You know, we see the here and the now, the mess and the stress, and we forget or we don't understand or we choose not to accept that God saw every moment of our life before even one passed. He knows our weakness and he says, come to me, all you who are weary, who carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Find that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And that's a message that we hear over and over over in his word as God, he, he reaches to his people in whatever pit of imperfection they may be. I need God's word every day. You need God's word every day. We need God's word every day. And consuming it every day allows us to take up our armor and fight when the enemy of our soul attempts to stop, to, stop us from accepting that Jesus was sent to be the perfection that we will never be and the perfection that is required of us all. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I find, I find in myself, my first thought is nearly always do it yourself. Clean yourself up, get yourself right. But in my car that day, God allowed me to understand, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. I need him. It's his perfection I need. It's his perfection my family needs, not mine. I need his spirit living and operating within me. I need his hand to lead me. I need his voice to speak to me. And that was the day I gave up. I gave up fixing myself to being the perfect wife, mother, and woman, and surrendered asking God to reign where I keep failing, to show me his definition of what I need to be, and to mold me by his hand and his, his word decreasing me and increasing him. You know, I wish I could tell you everything has been fine since that day. It hasn't. My flesh is thick. And this act of surrender is a, a conscious decision that I need Jesus to help me make every day. And it requires commitment. His perfection has got to be first in my life. Knowing who he is searching who he is, seeking after him every day, it's a must. And it's the same must required of you. Guys, I promise you, we want to get to that place God was calling Abraham to, that place where God is able to set us up to be a blessing to those around us. As we close out this episode, let's take this choice of surrender with us. Developing a true walk with God requires we take his word and we do something with it. So here's a super simple way for us to do just that. I want you to grab a sticky note or set a reminder in your phone. Do some check-ins with yourself where you intentionally think through, how am I when it comes to surrender? Better yet, set yourself a reminder to ask God how you're doing in these areas. And when you do, ask him to give you a willing spirit to see what he's showing you. 
And don't get frustrated if he doesn't show you anything right then and there. He may not drop it to you in prayer the moment you ask. Rather, he may choose to reveal it to you as you work through your day or maybe even the weeks to come through a real-life demonstration. I find when God does this, as annoying as it can be, it's the best way for him to open my eyes to really see the state of who I am and the condition of my heart. Moments of correction. Those of you with children understand that catching your child in the act and correcting in that same moment is way more powerful than waiting hours or days after an opportunity presents itself. If you're an employee, you know that on-the-job training, there's nothing better. The same applies here. So with that, we're wrapping this episode up, but we're taking this choice with us. Let's choose surrender. You just listened to an episode of the She Chooses podcast. I pray you were encouraged by the message you heard today. And I pray that the choice before you, the one that leads to Jesus, is shining bright in front of you. Until next time, let's be intentional. Let's be focused. Let's be diligent. And let's be the she's that choose Jesus. Jesus.